Today's Bible reading is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 22, and that can be found on page 1015 of the Church Bibles. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you, if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for the reason of, for hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Well, the first word of our passage today uh, reminds us that we're working through a long and flowing uh, teaching of Scripture That first word, finally, in 1 Peter 3, verse 8, finally. Uh, And that word already makes us realise we've got to think back, don't we? Think back and and, and remember what it is that we've already been told. And more than just continuing the teaching, finally is a word that just seems to wrap up what Peter has been saying, isn't it? And and even though the flow, I think, in Peter's letter is just too tightly woven to really break it up into, into neat sections... I suggest that we could cast our eyes back uh, uh, to uh, try to rein together a, a chunk that runs from chapter 2 and verse 11, uh, where you know we were uh, thinking about how we were sojourners and foreigners in this world, and therefore we should live differently to this world, uh, right through to chapter 3 and verse 7, where we finished last week on, on the way that Christian husbands and wives should live differently too. Finally, in verse 8, I, I think, is going to start t- trying to tie all of that part of the letter together. 
And yet that whole section from chapter 2, verse 11, through to chapter 3, and now to 22 at the end of today's session, it more or less rocks back and forth through similar ground to the first third of this letter that came before it, and indeed to the last third that's coming after it as well. That The flow in Peter's letter is just too strong. In fact, if there, if there are sections of the letter then there's also micro-sections within those sections where Peter just keeps going over the same ground. It's almost like he keeps finding new dimensions or or angles, uh, but he's really rocking back and forth between the same two ideas all the way through this letter. That in Christ we are the people of God. And therefore we need to live now as God's people. Uh, This time he captures those two concepts for us uh, from this kind of perspective. We, as the people of God, have been called to bless. We, as the people of God, have been called to bless. That's what he's setting up for now in this section with this finally word in verse 8. Finally, all of you have a unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. What reads so smoothly here and and so sweetly is actually very, very hard if you slow down and read that verse and what it says. And it's very unnatural, I would say, to our fallen wiring that we've inherited. All of these things in that verse run contrary to our our independent, self-focused hearts and minds that we inherited from the fall. Uh, So I can read these words, uh, I guess, and and use them to run a calibration on my Christian maturity and growth. Have a unity of mind between you all, the scriptures say. Unity of mind. Well, that requires letting go of our own agendas, doesn't it? It requires seeking the plural good. In what I take it to mean here in verse 8, the community of faith. I can run a calibration on my maturity, can't I? Am I thinking in in that kind of mode in terms of this common unity in the church or, or, or must everything suit me? Have sympathy, it says. Have compassion on others who are in need. Feel their suffering. Do I sit with others in their pain? Or is that too uncomfortable? Do I just quietly wish or pray that they would just get over it, just get through it? Have brotherly love. Love others as if they were an actual brother or sister. Am I at that point in my church fellowship? Or do I connect here with with friends and and acquaintances or, or even enemies maybe? Have a tender heart. Not, not tender, I don't think, in the sense that I take wounds easily. I don't think that's what Peter's talking about here. No, I think he means a tender heart that I would be tender towards others. Am I like that? Or am I a bit standoffish or flippant or even gruff with people? Have a humble mind. Really? Aren't I better? more knowledgeable, more godly, more experienced, more important, more something? Slow down 
and read these words, I find this relational posture here in these words of verse 8 very, very hard. How about you? But from this kind of community that Peter describes here, we can really start to live out our call as God's people in this world, that we have been called to bless others. It requires this posture. We can bless others from this posture, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. As we've been reflecting on through Peter's letter, we as Christians are not to respond to others in in like-for-like kind, but rather we should respond with good for evil in this world. For we were called to bless. Regardless of how others treat us, we are the people of God and he has called us to bless. And that's a call that goes a long way back, if you give it some thought. As children of Sarah and Abraham, as Peter reminded us last week, we share the call that God put on their family way back in Genesis 12, that they would be a blessing and through them that that blessing would flow to all the families of the earth. That call is now ours. We present Christ to everyone uh, as per Colossians 1 and, and the vision statement in this church. Why? So that we may convey blessing to them all. But the call goes even further back before Abraham. As God's people, we were chosen for this call before the foundation of the world. We reflected on that in Ephesians 1 a little while back. Do you remember? Let me jog your memory. Uh, You want to think about our call to bless others as God's people? Think about this blessing passage in Scripture in Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. That's our whole foundation, as as Peter has also been saying all through this letter in all kinds of other ways that come to him. God has blessed us with everything, and he calls us now to bless others. Peter's phrasing in verse 9 sounds a little bit like like a works-based kind of reward system, though, doesn't it? Uh, We should bless others so that we might receive some more blessing back. And there may be some sense in which that does unfold, but certainly not in the sense of our salvation, as Peter has been making abundantly clear all through this letter. We've already been saved. We are the people of God, and hence this call that we should bless. We're called to do this as the only fitting response to the greater blessing of salvation that we've already received. And yet, perhaps in some mystery, that does benefit us. Perhaps in some mystery it keeps us in tune with God, for he hears our prayer, as Peter goes on to say, as he quotes this psalm, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil 
and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We are not of those who pursue evil anymore. We are the people of God, and we should pursue goodness and peace. And his eyes will be on us as we go, and his ears will be open to our prayer. That psalm that Peter's quoting, by the way, is is the psalm we took our call to worship from this morning. Psalm 34 it is, if you want to read it up later. And it is responsive, that psalm, to the salvation in which David, the psalmist, already stands. David says in verse 4 of the psalm, just to frame everything and frame those few verses Peter just gave us, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. From that basis of deliverance, David then goes on and seeks to to respond rightly to his salvation. He doesn't, doesn't follow the way of the world any longer. Why would he? He follows the way that God has now opened up for him. And God continues to be in tune with his prayers and watches over him as he goes. Peter had also actually said something of this point in the previous passage we finished on last week, if you, if you glance back to verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So too, Peter's going to say something of this in the next section in chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. These are quite thought-provoking scriptures, aren't they? It would seem that God is more responsive to our prayers when our life and our prayers are more in line with him. And hence, uh, when we live as God has called us to live, blessing others, we might receive even more blessing from him, as verse 9 seems to say. It's thought-provoking, and it all sounds quite fine and wonderful, but it isn't actually that easy to do. Because the underlying context in which all of this teaching is unfolding is the context of you and I suffering. That's the thread that's been running all through Peter's letter, and here it is again today. Those outside will do evil to us and revile us, but we are to respond by blessing them. And uh, whatever other blessing we might receive in doing so, it may not be the end of our suffering. In fact, Peter explicitly suggests otherwise in verse 14 there. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. If you suffer, you will be blessed. Our suffering at the hands of those against us may still come and keep coming. But even so, there's there's some other blessing that Peter is talking of here. In other words, if we try to put this together, to be blessed is not to be without suffering. That's a little bit different, don't you think, to to the prevailing Christian understanding of blessings, isn't it? We more or less equate being blessed with being free from suffering, don't we? Not so, apparently. 
Not so. By the by, in this letter, Peter is slowly giving us a truer and more biblical view, not just of blessings, but of suffering too. Because when we suffer, we tend to think what? What do we think? We tend to think we've been cut off from God or something like that, don't we? That he has turned his ear away from our prayers, if anything. Don't we think like that? But not so, it seems. In the psalm Peter quotes here, we see the same thing. David speaks in that psalm simultaneously of us having God's ear and blessing but so too of having much suffering in our life. Psalm 34 verse 19 as one example. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So on the one hand, the Lord delivers us from our afflictions, but on the other hand, there are many such afflictions for us because we live in God's way. Suffering is somehow par for the course for God's people. And Peter's letter doesn't shy away from that truth. There will be many afflictions for us as the people of God, but he will ultimately deliver us out of those troubles because we are his people and he loves us eternally. We live with a strange confidence, therefore, and despite our current sufferings because we know that we are the people of God. So in verses 13 through 17, uh, Peter repackages this blessing in terms of that context of suffering. And that's what makes this teaching so hard. Even when we experience suffering for being God's people, it only all the more reinforces our calling as God's people as to how we should live in response to those around us. But even if you should suffer, for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. I read these scriptures and I've got no other choice but to think we should all expect suffering for living Jesus' way in a hostile world. If and when that happens, we might take it as God's will, as Peter has already flagged earlier in this letter and does again today. But what we must be careful to do, despite all of our sufferings in the here and now for living out Jesus' way, is to keep living Jesus' way. For we have been called into God's people so that we would bless those around us. These are really hard words if you think about it for a while. We are called to bless those around us, to love our enemies, as Jesus would say. There's a few things packed into this teaching from Peter in verse 15 that that should inform how we actually go about that and do that, how we live out this call to bless despite being made to suffer. First of all, honour Christ the Lord as holy in our hearts. Uh, So... 
I guess we should not resent Christ for our suffering, nor should we repress him or, or try to hide him away for fear of more suffering coming our way at the hands of these people. No, we must uphold Christ and we must hold fast to Christ when those who are set against him become set against us. And we should remember what Jesus did. In John fifteen eighteen. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There's great joy in those words. We are not of the world anymore. Christ has chosen us as his to bless others. And we must honour Christ our Lord. Number two in verse 15, be prepared to make a defence for your hope. From the wider context of this section and the whole letter, that defence will be called for when people have questions about our hope and those questions that they have will be prompted by this way that we bless in response to evil and suffering. People will see us do that and they'll want to know of us. Why do you do that? Why do you bless instead of reviling in return? So being prepared to make a defence for our hope first of all requires us to live this call to begin with, blessing others in the face of suffering. Otherwise the question's not going to come, is it, as to why we have this hope in the face of suffering. And when the question does come, we don't really need to overthink it. I don't think. Our defence just requires, actually, that we honour Christ our Lord, which was the first part of this verse. The reason for our hope is that Christ died for our sins to bring us to God, as, as Peter is about to say. I don't think we need any more comprehensive or, or, or smooth or compelling argument or anything like that. Verse 18 is going to do just fine. Christ died for our sins to bring us to God. That's the reason for our hope. Number three, though, back in verse 15, before we get to verse 18, number three, do it with gentleness and respect. Yeah, yeah, even to those who make us suffer, he's talking about, even those who slander us and revile us, verse 16, to them we must respond with gentleness and respect. 21st century Christianity, trying to map out as we are, this call upon us to bless others, trying to map that out in a society that communicates primarily by detached, digital, disrespectful abandon, has much to take on board here. It is very easy to get sucked into their way and away from this call upon us. No, when they rage against us, we must respond with gentleness and respect. How are you guys going with this stuff? I've struggled a lot with all three of those things in verse 15. I've overthought, I've underthought, I've failed. But I hear the call here in this scripture and I know that this call is right. And so somehow, onward and upward and further into this call, I must go. 
All right, in verse 18, Peter gives us the reason. The reason as to why we must pursue this high call for. That's what that word is for, isn't it? For. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. We do all this because we have been brought to God. That has already been done for us in Christ. Hallelujah. We have been brought to God. And that also required suffering for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to bring us to God, even though he was perfectly righteous. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Well, Peter's jam packed a whole lot into that one paragraph reason, don't you reckon, as to why we should bless even in the face of suffering, but let's explore what he says. First of all, notice how the whole paragraph of our reason there is, is framed by the resurrection of the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 18, it's his resurrection that is central to us having been brought to God. Verse 20, 21 and 22 at the end of the paragraph, his resurrection is central to our appeal for a good conscience and, and it's tied to the assurance of knowing his authority over all things in heaven and on earth. Some more difficult things fall in between that framework of Jesus' death and resurrection in this paragraph. But I suggest that it's actually all about the proclamation of that basic message of hope in Scripture, in his death and resurrection for our sins. The message about judgment and salvation. Verse 19, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit of God, so too Christ has always been proclaiming judgment and salvation to people of all ages by the same Spirit of God. Those who have not turned to God to receive that salvation through the ages have been sentenced to judgment. By, uh, by way of epic case example, probably the most classic he could pick out, verse 20, Peter invokes the people of Noah's day when, when through Noah... Christ was proclaiming judgment and salvation to those people. They would not turn to God uh, and they were sentenced to judgment. But one family received God's grace in salvation. And Noah was a herald of righteousness to that generation, Peter says in his second letter. Because by the Spirit of God, Christ was proclaiming judgment and salvation to those people through Noah. Just as Peter said at the start of this letter, in 1 Peter actually, in chapter 1 and verse 10, if you recall this, concerning this salvation, 
The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. The prophets of old knew the deliverance to come in Jesus Christ because the Spirit of Christ has been proclaiming judgment and salvation since the days of old. Verse 21, the salvation from judgment has now been granted to us. Us who have come to Christ. We are those whom Peter is writing this letter to. Those who have heard the gospel and received this salvation from judgment. Those who, by the mercy of God, as Peter said in chapter 1 and verse 3, we've been born again. Haven't we? We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter is saying here in the end of chapter 3, the reason for our hope uh, and the reason we are called to bless, he's saying here actually what he opened the letter with in chapter 1. We are the people of God and salvation is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who died for our sin to bring us to God. Other people who still stand outside that salvation are under judgment. And we need to live our lives among them for the time being. And no matter how they treat us, we have this powerful reason driving our call to bless them. We have been forever made the people of God. Peter is linking us here with Noah. God was patient towards disobedient people in Noah's day. And merciful to Noah. God is being patient towards disobedient people in our day. And he has been merciful to us. And there are two big implications of that link here between us and Noah. First of all, we can know that the grace of God to a few in Noah's day to save them from destruction is the same grace of God given to us to save us from destruction. And we can know that we most certainly will be saved just as Noah was. Our baptism, our immersion into the gospel of Jesus Christ who died for our sins, it is certain and true. And of our salvation we can be sure. For Christ was raised by the Spirit of God and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Nothing can get in the way of our salvation, my friends. But here's the other thing about that link. In the same way that Noah was a herald of righteousness to his lost generation, the Spirit of Christ preaching through him by how he lived for God instead of by the ways of his culture and how he warned the people of the coming judgment, so too Christ should preach through us, brothers and sisters, by the same Holy Spirit by whom he preached through Noah. And hence this call that we should bless those around us rather than respond to their evil in like kind. We're not to live in the way they live, for which judgment is coming upon the world. Now, we've been born again. 
into the people of God. We must live for God. We must seek to do good in, in all of our dealings with the wider world such that, such that they too might hear the call of God in our life. We bless in the face of evil. We bless in the face of evil. And we bless again in the face of evil. And every so often that's going to prompt questions from some people for the reason that this hope is in us. And we will proclaim, not just in deed, but in word as well. We have this hope because Christ died for our sins. The righteous for the unrighteous, that he would bring us to God. That gospel, that gospel can save some of those people too. Starting with our actions and flowing into our words that the Spirit of Christ would proclaim the same gospel of salvation through us to the world in which we live, where he has left us now for the time being, that we should be heralds of righteousness who hold him forth as Lord. The call here upon us is very, very big. Will we take it on? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this teaching uh, in this scripture. And we pray that you would give us clarity in our hearts about this teaching, that, that we have been eternally blessed through the suffering of Christ for our sin, that we have been brought to you by our Lord Jesus that we can be sure of our future because of his resurrection and ascension to power, that we should now bless others and even when they cause us to suffer. Oh, help us, Father, with that call. Help us to, to rise above the ways of this world, that we might carry out the call that you have put upon us to bless and that your uh, spirit might uh, not just dwell in us, but guide us and, and proclaim to those around us the wonders of your mercy in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray these things and ask for your help. Amen.